T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission. Too broke to pay attention. All right, welcome back in. We are with you up until midnight. What's your biggest concern with the Red Sox right now? And how are you feeling about your Celtics getting ready to take on the Golden State Warriors in the NBA Finals? 617-779-7937, the number. I did want to mention this real quickly. This sixth inning tonight was a very nice development to see from the Red Sox where Hunter Green was really good early in that game. I mean, you go back to the first inning. He threw 11 fastballs. The average was over 100 miles an hour. I mean, the guy's got... Really good stuff. I do truly believe the guy needs to develop a off-speed pitch, though. He do, he tried one changeup that he threw to Verdugo. He does not have a good enough off-speed pitch right now, and that's part of the reason he's given up 15 home runs on the season. The only person that's given up more home runs than him is Nathan Evaldi. And what we've seen is this guy, and look, I, I'm not going to tell you I watch him all the time, but if you look at the numbers, he can't go through the lineup the second time. Coming into tonight, opponents hitting 282 with a 358 on base percentage, a 592 slugging percentage, and a 950 OPS the second time through the order. And the Red Sox made him pay in the sixth inning. Bogarts walks, Verdugo doubles on a four seamer, or excuse me, not the bottom of the sixth inning, the fourth inning. I don't know why I said the sixth, the fourth inning. So Raphael Devers' 0 2 fastball is another good thing with the Red Sox. The Red Sox are now fourth since the start of May in hits with two strikes. And we saw three of them in a row. 0-2 fastball to Devers, and this is just how good Devers is. He rifles it the opposite way, 99 up in the zone. He gets to that, and he hits it off the wall 98 miles an hour. That's an unbelievable piece of hitting from Raphael Devers. J.D. then singles on a slider, again two strikes. Bogart singles on a four-seamer. That makes it a one-to-nothing game. And then Verdugo, as I mentioned, that bad changeup, he doubles off that. Story goes down in a slider. Vasquez grounds out. But then Jackie Bradley Jr. doubles on a four-seamer, middle-middle, and that's his final batter of the day. So if you look at it the second time through for the Red Sox tonight, they go five of eight and four hard-hit balls off the bat 95-plus miles an hour. So the idea was, hey, let's get him a little bit deeper into the game. Obviously, they would have liked to pounce on the guy, but he had over 100 early in this game. But Cora even mentioned it. The fastball velocity came, not that it was like 94. He's still throwing 98 miles an hour in that fourth inning. But the velocity came down a bit because he's got to throw so many damn fastballs because he really only has that and the slider. I mean, the guy's got a ton of talent. I'm not diminishing that whatsoever. But the Red Sox did the right thing where they get to the fourth inning, the velocity's down, they get after the guy whose vulnerability is the second time through the order they took advantage of it. Nice thing to see from the Red Sox tonight. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Frank in Providence. Hey, Frank. Hey, Brian. What's up, man? Um, You know, I just can't talk Red Sox right now because... 
They don't deserve to be talked about, man. They don't deserve it, man. We got to talk Celtics, man. Celtics are in the championship. Well, hey, Frank, man. I put them both on the table tonight. You can talk Celtics. You can talk no, Red Sox. I know, so, I yeah. know, man. So what's your season Absolutely. point? I know. I'm just saying, like, the guys that scam me on the on the Warriors are, like, guys like Looney and Poole and Wiggins. Those are guys that make me nervous. And I don't know what's going to happen with those guys. I don't know what they're going to do against us. Yeah, so the Looney thing is a good point. Looney scares me for a couple of different reasons. Not that he's going to score 25 or 40 points, whatever. But Looney's averaging 2.6 offensive rebounds per game in the postseason. When Looney's on the court, their offensive rebounding rate, they get about 28.6% of their misses. And when he's off the court, they're worse than the worst offensive rebounding team of the NBA. So that's a major thing because we have seen throughout the postseason the Red, so- uh, the Red Sox. The Celtics have had trouble with offensive rebounds. The other thing, Frank, I'd say as it pertains to Looney is they are really good off screens and off the ball stuff, right? And Looney's their main off the ball screener. In fact, he sets more off the ball screens than anybody in the NBA. And that means Clay Thompson gets loose. Clay Thompson has 31 more points off screens than anybody else in the postseason. So it's not Looney scoring. It's his ability to get offensive rebounds. And as a screener, I think he could be a major factor in the series. Absolutely. And, like, you said that you believe the Celtics are going to win this series, yes, correct? I do. I I feel like, I, I don't know. I really don't, I, I really don't know, man. It's 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 really... I see. I can really see them losing in Game Six or Game Seven. Well, I do. Yeah, I mean, look. I mean, it's not an unfair take, Frank, to think that the Warriors are going to beat the Celtics. I look at the size of the Celtics, and I believe it could be overwhelming to the Warriors. The Warriors are a very small team. This is not yeah. like playing the Bucks. Yeah. Miami had a good positional size, if you will. This is a small team that the Warriors have. Now, I will say this, Frank, and I appreciate the call, my friend. I'll get into the Celtics in greater detail. The one thing that does worry me about Game One. This is like anything this is this is unlike any team you've played so far because the Warriors are so much different. It's almost like and look, I'm not saying they're this quality of team, but remember Navy with the triple option where it's like very tough to get ready or Georgia Tech, right? In the heyday, it's very tough to get ready for a team like that because they're different than everybody else. The Warriors are one of the best offenses in the sport and they play differently than everybody else. Like the Heat, okay, hey, let's try to find... Now, they have a handoff game, but they want to go after your weakest defender, right? Jimmy Butler's seeking that out. Giannis is trying to get the mismatch to go at a guy like Jalen Brown because of the size. You look at the Nets, they do the same thing. They mismatch. That's not how the Warriors play. The Warriors, their game is all based on player movement, right? Not to do the Glenn Ordway ball movement, it's player movement. Those guys run all over the court. There's screens all over the place, off the ball. It's very difficult to defend. So that sort of first game, I do believe that could be jarring for the Celtics tomorrow night to just try to gather yourself and understand what they're doing. 617-779-7937, the number. Let's get to Ted in Winchester. Hey, Ted. Hey, Brian. You're very talented. I enjoy listening to you. Thank you. Uh, whatever sport you're talking about. Anyways, I'm just saying, uh, you know, just to go back to the Red Sox here, their their best trade ship. I know everyone you know worries about Bogarts, Devers, this and that. Those those guys, they're, they're going to figure that stuff out. I promise you. But JD Martinez, please trade him at the deadline. This guy has come back every year. He has signed his contract. Unfortunately, because of him coming back and every year to accepting his opt out or whatever the heck it is, sort of the reason we lost Mookie Betts too. Because if, if because if he opts out, we get that extra money. It's it's time to. 
JD, nice job. You're a DH. We got we got all these other opportunities now in the National League. Let's um, whether we're in it or not. I think he's a great trade chip, and um, that's it. Yeah, Ted, I don't believe that Mookie Betts is here if JD was gone. I don't believe that was a money thing with the Red Sox. I believe that was more about they didn't want to lose him in free agency, and they didn't feel like they could get him to stay in free agency, so they had to trade Mookie. I don't believe those two things are related. With J.D., what if this team, though, is in the hunt, right? What if they get themselves back into wild card contention? You can't trade J.D. in the middle of a pennant race. You can't trade your cleanup hitter. You know, you're not you're not, not going to win the whole thing. It's, it, it, it's fine. Trade him, please, please trade him. Yeah, but please Ted, if him. you get if you get in, if you get in the postseason, all bets are off. I mean, look at that Braves team last year. You get a, a, a three game series at the other team's park. That that that's the best thing you're looking at right now. So I'm I'm, I'm good, JD. Thank you very much. You're not you're not David Ortiz. Thank you for your help, but uh. I think we can get quite yeah, but, a bit for him. Ted, I, I, look at J- yeah, Ted I look at J.D., and I appreciate the call, my friend. His line's open if you want to grab it. It's 617-779-7937. It's going to be awfully difficult to replace J.D. Martinez. And I do go back to what happened after David Ortiz left. Do you remember what happened in between those two seasons when Ortiz retired and before J.D. signed, which was prior to the 2018 season? There was a gap there that 2017 season, and it didn't go well for the Red Sox because they didn't have a guy that could fill the shoes of David Ortiz. J.D. Martinez has done that. I'm not saying he's got all the clutch moments that David Ortiz had. I'm not saying he's as good of a Red Sox as David Ortiz. But as it pertains to having a legitimate bona fide DH, the Red Sox found that with J.D. Martinez. You go through since 2018, he's basically top 10 statistically in every category since he signed with the Red Sox, including his top three in RBIs. He's top five in doubles. He's top seven in home runs, right? So I just don't feel like replacing J.D. is as easy as everybody thinks it's going to be. I understand his point about, yeah, J.D. is a legitimate trade chip. He certainly is. Like, if the Red Sox completely fall out of it, okay, you consider that because of the fact that you can get a good return on a guy like J.D. Martinez. That if J.D. Martinez is on the market at the deadline, he is by far the best bat available. I mean, he's that damn good. I mean, unless it's like a Bogart situation. Like, unless everything goes crazy here, right? But J.D. Martinez is one of the best still hitters in the sport, hence leading all the Major League Baseball as it pertains to batting average. So when you do the calculus on that, I understand the value perspective of it, but I would be really considering, if I'm high bloom, bringing J.D. Martinez back. What's the alternative? There's no alternative out there. You're not going to find a free agent D.H. next offseason that is 85% of J.D. Martinez. That guy does not exist. So I look at this team, and I truly believe that they're going to get back into wild card contention, if you will. And really, if you look at it right now, in terms of where the Red Sox are at, this is what really sucked about April and some of these bullpen issues that this team has had. Because, and look, I'm not just saying this because I enjoy watching the Red Sox win games and all that, but I look at this. If you look at where they sort of sit in terms of the wild card race, Right now, they are seventh. They sit at 24 and 27. Look at their run differential. It's plus 22. There are only two teams ahead of them in the wild card standings, and there's six ahead of them that have a better run differential. The Los Angeles Angels and the Cleveland Gladiators. The Red Sox have a better run differential than the Toronto Blue Jays, than the Tampa Bay Rays, than the Texas Rangers, than the Chicago White Sox. By the way, Chicago's been outscored by 50 runs this season. 
And Chicago has a better record than the Red Sox at 23 and 20. I mean, it's close, 23 and 25. But you get my point. It's not like you have a bunch of unbelievable teams in front of you if you're the Red Sox. So we saw what they were capable of when they won 10 of, or when they won, t- yeah, 10 of 13 against the Astros, the White Sox, the Rangers, all teams right now that are ahead of you in the wild card race and the Mariners who aren't good. But of those four teams, three of those teams are ahead of you in the standings, and you won your series against all three of those teams. So we know what the Red Sox are capable of from an offensive perspective. So I believe they're going to be in the hunt at the trading deadline, so I don't see them making any major moves as it pertains to getting rid of their stars. What they need to do is figure out what's going on with the bullpen and what's going on with the pitching staff in general to do what's in the best use of the 2022 Red Sox, not what is best for the Red Sox in 2023-2024. You have one of the best lineups in the sport. You have got to win with this team this year. 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So if you do want to win with with the Red Sox, what is your biggest issue with this team right now? Plus, how are you feeling about the Celtics as they get ready to play the Golden State Warriors less than 24 hours from now? I get a couple of other reasons to feel optimistic about this team, rather, and I'll get into it next here in EI. Your home of the Sox. Now, here's what's trending on WEEI. Trending now is brought to you by Nissan. Nissan's an easier choice than ever with our exciting and fuel-efficient lineup. Now get great offers across our full line. Shop at your local Nissan store in NissanUSA.com. All right, well, here's what's trending. The Sox beat the Reds tonight 7-1 to split that two-game set. Garrett Whitlock goes six innings. He gave up just one run. And by the way, five hits. He did not strike out a batter, but not a good, not a bad outing at all for Garrett Whitlock. Six innings and one run. Meanwhile, Tanner Houck, he came out of the bullpen. Two innings, just 25 pitches. He gave up one hit, one strikeout. Did not give up a run, of course. And Schreiber came in to end things for the Sox. He went an inning. He pitched that ninth inning. Alex Verdugo, two for three with a pair of doubles. And Jackie Bradley Jr., two for four. Four RBIs for Jackie, including a base-clearing triple in that ninth inning to really put this game out of reach. So that means the Sox will have a day off tomorrow. They'll open up a three-game series with the A's on Friday night. 941st pitch across the Shaws and Star Market, WEI Red Sox Network. You can tune in to the Visit Massachusetts pregame show at 840, sponsored by the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism. Nate Evaldi gets the ball in that one. He's opposite James Caprillion. Meanwhile, Matt Barnes placed on the IL with a sh- with shoulder inflammation, I should say. Matt Strom was activated off the COVID list today. The C's getting ready to play the Warriors. We were just talking about it in the NBA Finals. Game one's going to be Thursday night. Robert Williams listed as questionable with left knee soreness. Now, Marcus Smart not on the injury report. Remember, he was on the injury report for the last couple of games of the Heat series after he made his way back from that ankle sprain. So that's obviously good news. And some sad news to pass along. Former NFL running back Marion Barber passed away today at the age of 38. The cause of his death at this point is still unknown. That's what's trending now on WEI and WEI.com. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know the bigger the fight, the better the reward. 
You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. We the best music. All right, welcome back in. Brian Barrow with you up until midnight. So if you don't know white on the Sox, what's the biggest concern with them right now? That's on the table. Plus, how are you feeling about your Celtics as they get ready for the NBA Finals? Game one gets underway Thursday night. 617-779-7937 is the number. So I did want to mention this real quickly. I didn't mind giving Franchi Cordero an opportunity at leadoff. I'm interested to see if they'll do it again because Cordero makes a lot of sense there in terms of you wouldn't think that like prior to the season, of course, they had to send him down to the minor league level and all that. Like, I understand all this, but he's completely changed his approach. And if you look at Kike Hernandez, yeah, he looks better at the plate as of late. But if you look at Kike's numbers on the season entering tonight, Kike Hernandez among 32 leadoff hitters with at least 70 plate appearances. Here is where he ranks. Average 203, that's 28th. 272 on base percentage, that's 29th. 8.3% walk rate, that's 21st. And he has a 27% infield fly ball rate, which is last. Not to mention what I told you about earlier, his pitches per plate appearance, 165th out of 179 qualified hitters in general. So he doesn't take a lot of pitches. He doesn't work counts. And right now you're not getting the production. It'd be one thing to say, okay, if Kike Hernandez is an aggressive hitter and you're getting that production like we saw in the postseason last year, like we saw really ever since Cora put him back in the leadoff spot last summer, right? He had him leading off to the beginning of the season. They took him out of the leadoff spot. He got hot. They put him back in the leadoff spot in that series against the Yankees. And he really took off from there, hit the home run off Garrett Cole, and the rest was history. He was really good for most of that year until he went on the COVID list, and then he didn't really perform well at the end of the season. But then once the postseason rolled around, he was outstanding. But with his approach, unless he's producing, he doesn't really make sense to have in that leadoff spot. It's one thing when he's clobbering the ball like he was in the postseason, but right now it's just difficult to justify having Kike Hernandez up there because of some of the stuff in terms of his approach. Swings at 26.9% of pitches out of the zone. That would rank 38th among, or for Franchi Cordero, he's swinging at 26.9% of pitches out of the zone. That would rank 38th among qualified hitters. So pretty patient at the plate compared to last year. Kike's at 31.6%. That's 75th. So Franchi also swinging at way less pitches out of the zone than Kike. And his hard hit rate, balls off the bat 95 plus miles an hour, 50.8%. That would rank in the top 20 if he qualified with enough plate appearances. Kike's at 31.3%. That's 227th out of 265 hitters. So when I just look at it in terms of Kike Hernandez right now, he's not making a lot of loud contact. He's not getting on base nearly enough. So that's why I liked Alex Cora giving Franchi Cordero an opportunity tonight. Because Franchi Cordero, give this guy credit. He went down to Worcester last year. And he was down there to begin this season, and he clearly worked on his approach. He's not swinging, as I outlined, he's not swinging at nearly the same amount of pitches out of the zone. He's not swinging and missing nearly enough. I know tonight was on a great night. It wasn't a banner night for Franchi Cordero. 
but he's definitely been a difference maker for this team since he had changed that approach. And he doesn't like profile if you just look at him as like a t- typical leadoff hitter because he's a massive individual. I mean, the guy hit a 448-foot home run the other night. So he doesn't look like your typical old-school leadoff hitter. But if this approach is going to continue for Franchi, and if he's going to continue to see pitches, unlike Kike Hernandez, it makes sense to give him more of an opportunity. I'm not saying Kike Hernandez should never hit leadoff for this team again. I'm not saying that. In fact, he'll probably hit leadoff on Friday night. I'm just saying it's a different look having a guy like Franchi Cordero at the top of the lineup rather than Kike Hernandez. And maybe what happened to Kike last year, remember, Kike got hot when they put him down in the lineup. And maybe that sort of situation could play itself out again. Although I thought Kike showed some signs over the weekend and really during that run where he had hit safely in 17 out of his last 20. But it's not like the explosive Kike Hernandez we saw last year when, yeah, we all saw it in the postseason. But really, we all saw it after, what was it, June 27th when Alex Cora put him back in the leadoff spot. He hit the home run off Garrett Cole at Fenway the day that the Red Sox all lit up Garrett Cole. I think... That's like one of the first days Garrett Cole was off the sticky stuff and the Red Sox just completely clobbered him, if you remember that game from last season. But the overwhelming point is, it is really impressive to see a guy like Franchi Cordero, which you don't ordinarily see this. He's a totally different hitter. We see guys improve, right? Guys get better from a year-to-year basis and they make little adjustments, right? But it's very rare to see a guy basically completely go and change his approach He's a totally different hitter and actually get the results, right? I mean, you rarely see that. I mean, I know a lot of guys try to change their approach, but for Franchi Cordero to change his approach and have this level of success, it's awfully impressive. That's why I I felt good for the guy that he had this opportunity tonight to hit in the leadoff spot after all the progress that he's made throughout the season. But if you don't want to weigh on in the Red Sox, what is your biggest issue with this team right now? What's your biggest worry? Mine is going to continue to be the bullpen as we enter this road trip now for the Red Sox where they go to Oakland. This is a series they obviously should win. Real opportunity to sweep that series. I know it's tough to sweep any team, but a real opportunity there. You do get the Angels, who we all know are a good team, but you also get the Mariners on that trip as well. This should be a successful trip for the Red Sox. My one concern is, of course, that bullpen because it continues to rear its head. It's done it all season long. Now, obviously, tonight, not an issue. How gets it done? You get Schreiber out there in the ninth, and there's really no pressure on Schreiber because that's a 7-1 game. But it just feels like right now, the Red Sox, for a team that wants to contend for the postseason, they don't have enough back there. And that's not a managerial thing. That's not me taking – that's not even like – I don't even blame the guys that are back there. It's just your bullpen is not good enough. Heimbloom did not do a good enough job – putting this group together. He bet on the wrong guys. He bet on Barnes. He bet on Salamora. He bet on Brazier and the guy that he signed in the offseason. He bet on Diekman. And those guys just have not worked out. So now you got Whitlock in the rotation who threw the ball really well tonight. But when you put him in the rotation, you take out one of your best relievers. So now you're down another reliever. So you're looking for even more guys. You got a surplus at the AAA level. And I get it. Those guys need time. They need to develop, so to speak. They need to marinate down there. So you need time with all those guys. But what's Bloom's answer now? Because you start to hit the ball the way you're hitting the ball. What happens when you go out on the West Coast and you're in a 7-5 to five game? Or you're in a 6-4 to four game? We're going to blame the manager for going to the bullpen? I mean, that's his job. He needs to go to the bullpen. And you have not equipped him with enough artillery back there. That's the bottom line. So until we see changes in the bullpen, that's going to continue to be the biggest concern with this Red Sox team. And we said it coming into the season, and we'll continue to say it. It's not like this is something where 
all of a sudden it popped up. No, everybody was saying this prior to the year, that the bullpen, there were going to be concerns there. Now, congratulations, they found Strom. Strom has worked out for them. But I'm not hitching my wagon to that guy. It's not even like he has a lot of major league experience. And look, this is not an indictment on Strom. He's been really good. He's been a surprise. But what he really should be ideally on, and look, maybe down the road he turns out to be this unbelievable high leverage reliever. And the Red Sox have to use him in high leverage situations right now. But what he should be is the Red Sox took a flyer on that guy. What he should be is like the fourth or the fifth piece to your bullpen or the third piece to your bullpen at the most. And he has exceeded expectations to the point where he right now is the most reliable reliever back there. So I, I give that guy a ton of credit, but that shouldn't be the case. You should have established arms in your bullpen. And right now that's sort of the issue for this Red Sox team is they don't have those established arms in the bullpen. But I do want to pivot to the Celtics right now because they obviously opened up this huge final series against the Golden State Warriors. And the turnaround, we all know, we've talked about it at nauseum at this station, has been absolutely remarkable for this team to go from prior to the new year. It was almost an unwatchable product, right? Because they kept losing all these games. They were hovering around 500. And then all of a sudden, it sort of clicked for them. And there's a couple of people that, deserve a ton of credit for this. First of all, obviously, Jason Tatum deserves a ton of credit because he's emerged as one of the best players in the sport. I mean, he was first-team All-NBA this season. If you look at his on-off differential, just how important he is to this team in terms of the points they they, are, they outscore their opponents by when he's on the court compared to when he's off the court, Jason Tatum's gap, it's the largest in the entire NBA. So that's how productive Jason Tatum has been. So he, of course, deserves the most credit because he had to make this unbelievable leap to go from, hey, a really good player, a really good scorer, to a guy that he's got to lead the dance, he's got to run the show, he's got to create everything for other people, he's got to play elite-level defense, which he's doing. And we also, against Durant, the guy was absolutely outstanding in that series where he legitimately took out the best scorer of this generation. He took him out. He made him completely ineffective. Durant, at times, looked scared to dribble the basketball. He had no idea what he was doing against Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum ate him alive. Bottom line, that's what happened in that series. So he's developed into a great defensive player. He was already a good defensive player. He took another leap this year, and the playmaking was the biggest leap with Tatum, where he now is much better making all those reads, understanding when the double team is coming, setting everything up for his teammates, and making the right passes. So Tatum deserves the most credit because to get to this level, to get to an NBA Finals, you need to have that superstar-level player, and that's what Tatum is. I mean, the Warriors get the guy on the other side in Steph Curry. If you get to this level, you have a bona fide, legitimate superstar. It's very rare to see a team get to the NBA Finals, nevertheless win it without that guy. you got to go all the way back to the 2004 Pistons. That's the last team that didn't have a legitimate, bona fide, superstar-level player. Chauncey Billups is a great player, won finals MVP, wasn't a superstar. Rip Hamilton, good player, wasn't a superstar. But that's how long it's been. Uh, You go through the history of this league, you need that guy, and that's the biggest development for the Celtics this season. They found that superstar-level player. We all thought the potential was there, but he sort of had to get to that level. And look, there was plenty of time to do it. He's in his 23-year-old season, but he reached it, quite frankly, sooner than a lot of people may have thought he would have gotten to that level. He's already had a ton of success as a guy that young in his career. He was the best player on a conference finals team two years ago in the bubble. He was an all-NBA performer when he was in his 21-year-old season, and now he's at the point where you can make a legitimate argument that he's one of the top five players in the sport. Heck, based on winning first-team all-NBA, that would indicate that. So that's the first guy. First and foremost, Jason Tatum deserves the most credit for this team 
getting to this level. And then if I'm sort of doing the power rankings of why they're here, number two on the list, and look, this goes in terms of the whole organization. Number two on my list in terms of people that deserve the most credit for the Celtics being in the NBA Finals, number two on my list is Danny Ainge. And the reason I say Danny Ainge, there's no Jason Tatum without Danny Ainge. As a Celtic, Jason Tatum maybe is somewhere else, right? But Danny Ainge had the foresight to say, okay, Tatum's the best player in this draft, and I understand the perception around the league is Markel Fultz's. And remember, basically every analyst out there had Markel Fultz as the number one pick in that draft. And he was labeled as this bus-proof player because he could play in the pick and roll. He could shoot. He had good size. The one critique on him was, hey, he didn't play a ton of defense at Washington, but the team sucks, so you can overcome that and you can get over that, and he'll dial it up when he gets into the NBA. But we would then realize the guy would completely lose his mind, and I do have empathy for the guy. He had the yips. I mean, when he came into the NBA, he had a shoulder injury, then he had the yips. He couldn't shoot. Remember, they were just like hiding him for a while, and now he's had a bunch of injuries, and clearly Jason Tatum is 100 times the player that Markel Fultz is, but that wasn't the perception at the time. You also had to do the calculus if you're Danny Ainge, knowing that Lonzo Ball was going to be the number two pick, that the Los Angeles Lakers would take Lonzo Ball over Jason Tatum. And then the other one in terms of Danny Ainge, why he deserves the credit, there's a couple of them. He drafted Marcus Smart, obviously turns out to be the defensive player of the year. And he's been really good for this team for a multitude of years. And then the Jalen Brown pick. And maybe the Jalen Brown pick is even more impressive than Tatum. Because Jalen Brown at number three, he was booed at the Celtics draft party. Not Jalen himself, the pick was booed. Because remember the idea at the time was, hey, hold on. Chris Dunn, Providence, you need Chris Dunn. Even though he was like 29 years old at the time he was coming into the draft. Nobody thought that Chris, well, at least I didn't believe Chris Dunn should have been the pick. So, the, the two guys I was going between were Jalen Brown because of the super athletic guy and Jamal Murray. I mean, to be honest with you, that's the guy I wanted. I wanted Murray. Obviously, Jalen Brown has worked out. Unbelievable pick by Danny Age because another guy that was on the table, Buddy Heald. People wanted Buddy Heald because he was coming off this final four run with Oklahoma, and they were pointing to the fact that oh, this guy's an incredible shooter, but you, you didn't realize that he can't dribble. You didn't realize that he doesn't defend, and you also didn't realize he was like 26 years old. So you wanted two old guys in Dunn or Buddy Heald, and then the Murray thing, that was a legitimate conversation. Murray's still a really good player, but Jalen Brown, obviously Danny Ainge hit that out of the park. And if you look at this team, right, four starters drafted by Danny Ainge, Tatum, Brown, of course, Robert Williams, who was a late first-round pick, what, 27th overall, that was obviously a great pick by Danny Ainge. And Mark is smart. And then if you look at the guys, the rotation guys, Peyton Pritchard has given them something this postseason. And Grant Williams has turned out to be a really good rotation piece for this team where he can spot up and hit threes. He's obviously a really good defensive player. Danny Ainge made all those picks. So Danny Ainge, to me, if we're doing sort of the hierarchy, the pecking order, the ranking of why this team's here, number one on the list is Tatum. Number two on the list is Danny Ainge. Number three on the list is Ime Adoka. Because Ime Adoka comes in and clearly this team needed a change. There's no way around it. Brad Stevens was not good enough towards the end of his tenure to get this team over the hump. And there was sort of part of this idea of the message was stale with Brad. They needed a change. It happens from organization to organization. Sometimes the voice just isn't the right voice anymore. Brad wasn't getting through to the players. Last year, I know it was sort of a lost season because all the injuries with Kemba Walker, Jalen Brown got hurt at the end of the season. 
But it did really feel like last year, Brad just completely lost it. He looked tired at the end of the season. So there was definitely a change that needed to be made. And Ime Doka made a lot of good changes as the coach of this team. He And look, Brad deserves some credit for this because he made the trade for Derek White but and got rid of a guy like Dennis Schroeder. They gave Marcus Smart the ball midway through the season after the trading deadline to just be the point guard. That's worked out for them. And then the defensive scheme. The defensive scheme has been something that they certainly take it off of this team where they use Robert Williams in that sort of roamer role, stick him out in the shooter, and he can just be this unbelievable defender as it pertains to guarding the rim because he can help off all these shooters and just muck things up in the paint, right? So it becomes a deterrent for teams. At the beginning of the season, they weren't doing that. He was covering the traditional big, and it didn't work out nearly to the same level that it's working out right now. So Ime Adoka, and also the other thing is he got through to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. He actually said after a game after the uh, they lost to the Portland Trailblazers back on the 21st, this was a game where they lost to the Blazers and they didn't have McCollum. And we all know Lillard was injured for basically the majority of the season, but McCollum hadn't been traded yet. He didn't play. The Celtics pick up a win against that team. Okay, or pick up a loss against that team. A horrible loss. After the game, Ime Adoka says, hey, what are you doing when your shot's not falling? And he was talking about Jason Tatum. And ever since that point, Tatum has turned into a much better playmaker. So Ime Adoka deserves credit, and Brad does too. I mean, Brad would be fourth on my list of guys in terms of reasons why the Celtics are here. And, I mean, you could even argue, like, Jalen should be in front of him. But in terms of if I'm ranking Tatum, Ime Adoka, Brad, uh, Brad Stevens, and Danny Ainge, my order would be Tatum, Ainge, Ime, and then last on the list would be Brad. Not to discredit what Brad's done, because I do feel like I talk about Brad, the voice being stale as it pertains to the team. The other thing I would say is Danny Ainge, the GM, is not making these moves that Brad made because it wouldn't be perceived as unbelievable wins. Brad attached a first-round pick to get rid of Kemba Walker's awful contract because obviously his knee was shot. And to do that, you brought back Al. Now, I think Al even exceeded Brad's expectations. I felt Al would be good for this team, not to this level. He has been remarkable. And then the other move he made was at the trading deadline, realizing, okay, having the foresight to say Marcus Smart can be the point guard. And then secondarily, we need a guy like Derek White that can sort of be store brand Marcus Smart, that can come off the bench, can do similar things to Marcus Smart. And now he's a major reason you're here. I mean, he was really good at the end of the Heat series. And that's a guy that I don't believe Danny Ainge gives up a first-round pick for Derek White. Derek White, you knew when you traded for him, if you were Brad Stevens, he wasn't even going to start. Right. So in terms of the perception around the NBA world, it's like, yeah, the Celtics gave up too much for Derek White. But the reality is they didn't. They need that type of player, not to mention he's on a good contract as well. So it made perfect sense, like in the long view, as we sort of rear out of this and look back, it makes total sense now. But at the time, that wasn't a pick that was like that everybody thought was unbelievable or a trade that everybody thought was unbelievable. So Brad deserves credit for that. And I think part of it, too, is Brad always had these small diminutive point guards that he had to hide in the postseason. And now he gave his coach basically no weaknesses defensively, unless he chooses to play Pritchard, which would be because he brings you something offensively with his shooting. But if Ime Adoka wants to play seven defenders that you can't take advantage of, he has that. When you're talking about Robert Williams, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown's their weakest defender out of their top seven players. Robert Williams, Al Horford, Grant Williams, and Derek White. All those guys are really good defensive players. Like I said, Jalen's the worst defender of their top seven, and that's saying something because he's 6'7 and a freak of an athlete. All right, 617-779-7937, the number. Brian Barrett with you up until midnight. So coming up next, I want to get into the Celtics-Warriors series a little bit. Some of the things I believe the Celtics can take advantage of, I'll address those next here on EI. 
I know in the past you've been pretty vocal about, um, I guess, wanting to stay with the Red Sox for as long as possible. Do you think that that's going to be a record, hopefully, that won't be broken ever? I feel like records are meant to be broken, uh, but I mean, uh, as of this point, until at least 10 years from now, if I'm not here, or, I mean, the day when I'm not here no more, at least 10 years from now, it's going to be still there, you know, so you have to play here for a long time and you have to stay healthy, so it's not impossible. Records are meant to be broken, but I know it's, it's, it's just definitely not something that's easy, though. All right, that was Xander Bogarts after the game tonight. Our guy Zeke, great job going over there getting that audio from Xander Bogarts. It really is interesting. It sort of went under the radar tonight, so great job from Zeke getting that audio. Is Xander Bogarts tied the record for most games played by a Red Sox shortstop with Everett Scott. Everett Scott, if you're not familiar with his work, he played for the Red Sox from 1914 through 1921. So Xander Bogarts just tied a record with a guy that played from 1914 to 1921. That's ridiculous. But you do hear it in Bogart's voice is, and every time, and this is what's sort of aggravating about the whole situation with Bogart's, every time you hear Xander Bogart speak, doesn't it feel like he wants to be here long-term? That's what I keep coming back to. And the fact that the Red Sox essentially are getting a mulligan with this, right? Because the reporting was out there in the New York Post that all that was offered to Bogarts was an additional $30 million. So one year on his current contract, that's it. Basically a one-year extension to the deal that he already has. And that's too much of a kick in the face to a guy like Bogarts. He is going to get more than that on the open market. Not to mention that contract, the reported contract in the New York Post, that would have been less than what Trevor Story's making on an annual average basis. So there's no way Xander Bogarts is going to sign that contract. But it does feel like this is sort of the complete opposite of Mookie Betts, where Mookie Betts, it felt like no matter what, he wanted to leave the organization and get to free agency, or at the very least get to free agency. I don't believe Mookie Betts wanted to be here, and I totally understand and can rationalize why the Red Sox traded Mookie Betts. But the Bogarts situation... You have a guy that was, it felt like, defeated prior to the season when he was addressing the contract. It felt like he was really upset about this situation, and he still wants to be here. He still, at this point in time, is talking about his contract a couple of weeks ago to the point where he changed his original thought process on it when he said, no, I actually will talk contract during the season. You come to Scott Boris with a good enough offer, I'll be willing to listen to that. I'm good with that. So he clearly is a guy that wants to be here. And I just feel like it sends such a bad message if the Red Sox cannot get a deal done with him. Because think about all the young players, right? So if you're in the minor league system right now for the Red Sox, and you look at it and you say, wait, hold on. Xander Bogarts is a multi-time Silver Slugger Award winner. He's a two-time World Series champion. He has been, for the past three years, the best offensive player shortstop in Major League, and they're not going to pay him. He's been the best offensive shortstop in Major League Baseball for three years. He won two championships for the organization. He's won silver, and you're not going to pay him? I just feel like that sends a bad message to guys in the lower levels of the organization or guys like with the Major League team right now that will approach free agency in short order. And, And the other thing I just say is this. I believe the guy that benefits the most from Xander Bogarts getting an extension, it's not Rafael Devers, it's Trevor Story. Because the reality is this. I love the story signing if it means Bogart stays. Because Story's a really good player. You've seen what he's brought defensively to this team. Unbelievable athlete. 
And he went on that hot streak a couple of weeks ago. He's hitting home runs left and right. Nine home runs. Remember, he had seven home runs in seven days. I mean, it's been ridiculous what Trevor Story did, right? But here's the thing. If he is gone, Bogarts at the end of the season, well, then you know what the reality is. Whether that's fair or unfair to Trevor Story is Trevor Story will be viewed as the replacement for Xander Bogarts. And I do truly believe that's part of the reason everybody was so hard on Story at the beginning of the season is because it feels like, okay, well, is that the replacement for Bogarts long-term? So if Bogarts doesn't leave, Story's never compared to Bogarts. If Bogarts does leave and Story goes through dry spells like he has this year in multiple different at multiple different times, I should say, well, then the reality is it keeps coming back to, hey, you replaced, this is your replacement for Xander Bogarts. I don't think Story wants to live that way. And you could see that both those guys, they really get along. I mean, they've been much better defensively together out there. You can tell that those guys legitimately like each other. So I just look at I and believe me, I know all the defensive metrics with Bogarts. They're not good this year either, okay? I understand all that. But the reality is this is an upper echelon hitter in the sport. It behooves the organization to sign good players. Call me crazy. This is me breaking everything down. Sign good players. Just like I said with Bloom earlier with the bullpen, sign good players. He didn't do that this offseason. Strom's been a nice find. I, I acknowledge that. But he didn't sign good relievers. Bogarts is an elite player. Sign him. Devers is an elite player. Sign him. It's not that complicated. Get it done with those guys. It helps story if you sign the guy long term. Uh, the other thing I want to mention before we leave for the night is with the Celtics. So there's a couple of things here that stick out to me with the Celtics and what they have to avoid in this series against the Warriors. And it's some of the same issues that we've seen throughout the postseason for the Celtics team. And I say issues, and they're in the NBA Finals. I don't want to say like I'm complaining about a team that made it to the NBA Finals, but there certainly are issues with the Celtics team in terms of some of the offensive things. So the Celtics in that series against the Miami Heat, they turned the ball over on 16.1% of their possessions. So just to put that into context... The Houston Rockets were last in the NBA this season with a 16.2% turnover rate. The Celtics were at 16.1 against Miami. So barely behind Miami this season or barely in front of Miami. That's how bad they were. They played almost at the same level as the worst team in terms of turning the basketball over this season in that series against the Heat. They also gave up 17.1 points per game off their turnovers. That would have ranked 23rd in the league. You have got to clean that up against Golden State because Golden State is averaging 8.8 steals per game during the regular season. That was fourth. So they're going to be trying to do the same thing the Heat did. Not to mention they averaged 17.6 points per game off their opponent turnovers. That was sixth in the league. So here's the reality. The Heat, they could have burned the Celtics more on those turnovers if they were better. With Golden State, you let them get out and transition, you are in massive trouble. So with this Golden State team, the one big thing, and I know this may sound incredibly simplistic, but the one thing that I really look at in the series is can the Celtics protect the basketball? Because the Warriors are a big turnover team as well. The Warriors last season, or this past season, I should say, ranked 29th in turnover rate. As we mentioned, the only team that was worse than them was the Houston Rockets. So this could be a series where both teams have a propensity to turn the basketball over. And it could come down to, hey, if the Celtics can protect the ball, they have a real opportunity to win this series. That's the one thing you cannot do against Golden State. You cannot fuel their transition game because they have one of the most devastating and dangerous transition games in the entire NBA. The Celtics have got to clean that crap up. That cannot happen like it happened against the Miami Heat. I cannot wait for this thing to get underway tomorrow night. Oh, my God.
It's awesome. The Celtics have not been in an NBA Finals since 2010. They're here. Tatum's arrived. Brown's arrived. I cannot wait. Thanks to Zeke for the audio. Thanks to Ethan for producing. We'll be back tomorrow night. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.